a listener production. This is Crappy to Happy and I'm your host, Cass Dunn. I'm a clinical and coaching psychologist, a mindfulness meditation teacher and author of the Crappy to Happy books. In this show, I bring you conversations with interesting, inspiring, intelligent people who are experts in their field and who have something of value to share that will help you feel less crappy and more happy. Today, I'm talking with Kenna Campbell. Kenna is a licensed financial advisor and the founder and director of SAS Financial Services. When Kenna found herself very, very broke after her divorce and needing to keep a roof over the head of herself and her young son, she embarked on a project which she now calls the $1,000 project. And that first $1,000 has now turned into a significant and growing investment portfolio that delivers her a passive income. And she is all about passive income. She went on to write a book about that experience called The $1,000 Project, and more recently, she has written a second book called Mindful Money, which is a great read for anyone looking to improve their financial situation, and let's face it, who isn't? Uh, Kenna also shares her financial advice on her YouTube channel called Sugar Mama and her website. Kenna is really passionate about educating, inspiring, and empowering every individual to create financial harmony, freedom, and independence in their lives. She helps people to get out of debt, to start saving, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. And I think that you will find that she shares a whole lot of really valuable tips and information. I really hope that you enjoy my conversation with Kenna. Kenna, thank you so much for being a guest on the Crappy to Happy podcast. Thank you for having me. I know that you are so under the pump at the moment, so I really appreciate you making the time. And you and I have been trying to um, organise this conversation for, I think, about a year and a half and with our busy schedules and then COVID, it just keeps um, being pushed out. So I'm so glad that you're managing to fit this conversation in now. Speaking with of COVID, you know, I think 2020 really demonstrated to all of us uh, just how uncertain and unpredictable and how suddenly, you know, things can change. Regardless of your individual circumstances financially or work-wise, we were all confronted with the fact that nothing is really certain or guaranteed. So I guess on the other side of that, what I'm curious to hear from you is like, what other things, for those of us who've had a wake-up call, what are the things that we should be thinking about or putting in place to protect ourselves from those kinds of scenarios? Well, first of all, I think it's about our attitude and mindset to everything that's gone on. You know, whenever something like this happens, it's such a wake-up call and a wake-up call is always a blessing because it's, it's an opportunity for us to grow, become smarter, wiser, more intuitive. So I think it's it's been a, a wake-up call for us all to realise we're not financially invincible. We need to be respectful and mindful of the way that we use money, um, spend money, build money and protect money. So it, it's it's really important that, first of all, we respect what's gone on and, and it's that we're able now to, for, for lots of us, have the opportunity to, to, I guess, make a shift or a change for the better financially. And where would we start with making that shift? For somebody thinking, okay, I really need to start spending less, putting something away for the future, your most recent book, which is not so recent now, is Mindful Money. And before that, you had a book called The Thousand Dollar Project. Can you tell me about The Thousand Dollar Project? And is that a good place for people to start with starting to build a nest egg or build a buffer? Okay. Well, there are sort of two, two questions there. So the first thing is, where do I start? And then The Thousand Dollar Project. So 
Where to start is um, really is number one, I say to people, is get the toxic debt out of your life. You need to clear the decks. So if you've got credit card debt, a personal loan, uh, maybe outstanding, buy now, pay laters, you need to get on top of those quickly. So, you know, that's where you would write a budget out, look at how much you can afford to contribute on top of the minimum repayments so that you get that debt out of your life. And I, I have this thing called a hit list strategy where you start with the smallest debt, through to the biggest debt. And it's not actually financially the smartest thing from a numerical perspective, because sometimes obviously interest rate might be higher on the, the bigger debts, but it's when you're juggling multiple debts, it's kind of like juggling lots of balls in the same air, um, in the air, not the same air. <laughs> so imagine you're juggling, let's say, six different balls. If I take one ball out of the air for you quickly, it's going to make juggling the remaining five much easier for you. So that's why I recommend, you know, you get rid of the smallest debt first and then go to the second um, smallest debt, then the third. And each time, you know, you free up that cash flow, you've now got two sources of additional, you know, repayments to now get move on towards the next. So it's very similar to the snowball technique. So the first thing is get rid of the debts, like do a budget, write down some goals and track your progress. So you can actually go, wow, my debts are coming down. My overall debt is now $8,000 and it's now $7,500. And the next time you check it, it's 6800 And you can see the progress uh, you're making in that one of my, I guess, mantras or uh, messages is, is progress fuels success. So when you see, it's like being on a, say you're going on a fitness plan or a weight loss journey, you know, when you get on the scale and go, wow, I've lost another half a kilo or wow, I can run that extra kilometer or I can bench press that extra five kilos. You go, wow, I want to keep going because this is working. The sacrifices of getting up early and going for a run or saying no to dessert one night a week are, are paying off. So track it and then the moment you're debt free build up emergency savings so that you never get into debt like that again keep using your budget keep you and then obviously once you've moved on from the emergency savings work towards building an investment portfolio that builds your passive income which creates true financial freedom so the thousand dollar project asks your second question is how you can use you can use the thousand dollar project all the way through from paying off your debts to building up emergency savings to investing and um, the $1,000 project is something I started about just under six years ago, and it's now a $200,000 share portfolio. Wow. It does have a, I should disclose, 50000 of that is a margin loan, but it is, you know, it's a, it's pays me a passive income of $7,500 a year that goes to World Vision's 1000 Girl project. Wow, that's amazing. That's really uh, inspiring to, for people to hear that you can, something that can start so small has so much potential. Absolutely. And I should also point out, I started that that $1,000 project just after my marriage ended. I'd gone through an expensive divorce. Um, You know, my budget to keep my son um, in the same home, you know, I I had to pay for it. So I was on a really tight budget myself to keep us afloat financially. So I had no money to invest. And I was like, when I I had launched Sugar Mama literally two weeks before my marriage ended, and I said to myself, oh my gosh, how am I going to invest again? I'm on a tight budget. I don't really have any savings to throw towards investing. It's all going towards my legal fees and, and the mortgage. So I sort of said, well, what have I done in the past? And I'm like, I've hustled. I've, I've just focused on small bite-sized goals one at a time that have all been positively correlated towards one big goal. And, you know, in my first year of doing the $1,000 project, um, I had invested $32,000 and that is not a dollar came from my budget, not a dollar came from my salary and not a dollar came from my savings. It was all money that I hustled, did frugal challenges, worked on the weekends, took on extra projects, um, sold things, decluttered. Um, that's how I did it. And I look at it now and just go, oh, my goodness, 
how it, how I managed to do this is incredible. It is incredible. And I, I really like that point because I think so many people think, well, it's okay if you've got the money to invest, but you really, or, or if you've got the income coming in or whatever, but you really demonstrated that this was all extra money that you found. Mm. I didn't have any money. Like literally, I mean, I remember my ex-husband said to me, you're going to die financially. You're going to, you're going to drown. I you've had to t- take, borrow this money to pay me out, to get me, get out of this. You know, you can't even take the bins out at night. And, and he was right. Like I was, I really stretched myself to, to get out of it. And, and he knew that. And, and it was, you know, I was like, I'm going to prove him wrong. And he's like, you know, you can't even take the bins out at night. So when I, you know, I'm now in a different house, but um, I used to like happily bang the, these heavy bins down my front steps at night going, I can't take the bins <laughs> out at night. Like, um, and I did. And look, and look, there, there were a couple of sacrifices at the time and there were highs and lows, um, but the sacrifices were minuscule in the scheme of things because I grew so much as a person. I started a $1,000 project as a shell of a human being. I had so much anxiety and fear and self-doubt and low self-esteem. And, you know, I was like, when I, you know, made my first $1,000, I was like, wow, that wasn't actually so hard and it happened quite quickly. And the $1,000 project for me was very much part of my healing process. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of my questions for you was going to be, that for women especially, they can be so devastated by financial breakups, especially if they're the ones staying at home. They retire with you know, something like 40%, less super. And so I'm really interested. And one of the reasons I was so desperate to talk to you was like, how do women do this to protect themselves? Yeah, it's a really serious problem. A lot of women are, go- are retiring in poverty and they don't realise it until it's too late. And that's one of my big messages and my big missions is to help women financially. Obviously, my content is is, is for both genders, but it's uh, particularly women because, you know, being a mother or being caring for someone else, it's so easy to put our own priorities so far down the list. And, you know, we all know our lists get multiplied all the time. We're all getting, you know, you just get pushed further and further down and time goes by and, a year passes, five year passes, 10 years pass. It's sometimes, you know, you think, oh my goodness, what have I done? I've like, what am I going to do for money? And there are things you can do. And the number one is to start educating yourself. So much of this boils down to financial literacy. And I, the, the word financial literacy is such a boring name, <laughs> but it, it's, it, I'm even bored hearing the word financial literacy, like my eyes glaze over, but it's about knowing how to be smart with your money. It's like knowing, okay, well, I don't go and get myself into debt. I know to put my foot down and say, no, if I'm staying at home looking after the kids or cutting down to part-time work, we need to factor into the family budget, you know, some money that goes into my superannuation in the meantime whilst I'm missing out on my employer contributions. It's about having financial goals. It's about knowing how to stick to a budget and why a budget is so important to the whole family's financial well-being. It's about making sure that you have some money set aside, you know, through an investment portfolio, building up what I call your mindful money number, which is what the really is my number one foundation you know message is about building up a passive income stream and and I've coached thousands of women through these sorts of situations to help them get back on their feet financially and make up for lost time and the important thing is I want to stress is it's never too late to start investing it's um it's never too early of course but it's never too late and you're never too old and it's amazing what you can achieve when you put your head heart and mind to it and you feel really committed and connected to making a breakthrough or having a shift. 
it's as if you're in my head. Half of those things that you just said were all on my list. You know, for the people who think they're too old or the people who think it's too late. And I even had down here, you know, some of these terms, ETFs and LICs and, you know, your eyes glaze over. But how important is it to have financial literacy? And you just answered the question. It's like knowing how, what to eat, you know, knowing how to, we need to eat at least three to four you know, leafy vegetables, you know, a day and to balance it with some fiber and some carbohydrates and a little bit of sugar. Like, and I'm not about, you know, so many people assume I'm a financial planner so that I'm all about being frugal and depriving yourself and, you know, drinking instant coffee and taking a packed lunch to work every day. However, I will point out my lunch today is, is here. This money is going to go towards the thousand dollar project. I can confirm <laughs> Kenna is holding up her packed lunch. <laughs> I have yogurt, chopped carrots and a little chocolate. But it, it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm actually all about balance. You know, yes, I might take my lunch to work three days a week, but then I'll enjoy a cafe takeaway lunch one or two times a week. Um, you know, I, I love, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see that I love, my vice is a, is a nice, beautiful handbag once a year, but I do it with balance. I do it if I've achieved my financial goals and also my lifestyle goals, you know, around fitness and relationships and spirituality and, um, you know, intellectual growth. So it's, I'm not about depriving yourself of being mean or strict um, or following some sort of formula that I think is unrealistic. It's about working with what you've got, doing the best you can, setting goals, dare to stretch, dare to dream, and always review and tweak, adjust with your lifestyle, adjust with your opportunities, but always come from an abundant um, mindset. It's interesting that you brought up the, you know, we know what to eat. And I think for me, I often think that food and dieting is much like money and budgeting. We kind of do know what to do, but there are can be a whole lot of other emotional and psychological issues that get in the way of us doing the things that we need to do. How important is it for us to address those psychological issues? Huge. This is where I think I'm quite different from, for example, other financial experts. Um, and I'm not dis- disrespecting them in any way, but I. that's why I sort of said to you, you know, my hit list strategy is actually not financially correct. It's more about the psychology of money. Gotcha. Yes, it is. If you Google how to get out of credit card debt, they'll all say start with the debt that's got the biggest and highest interest rate. Mine's different because I'm all about progress. If you if you can see that it's paying off, it's working, you're more likely to keep going and see it all the way through to the end until that final dollar is paid off. So, yes, it may cost you a little bit in the long run when you look at the expense, but I believe you'll pay it off faster and with a greater sense of joy and balance and pleasure and, and feel far more committed to work onto the next goal, such as emergency money or even investing by working at the psychology of money. And this is also why I'm actually very much for a redraw facility instead of an offset account for your home loan. Even though financially they're equal, I believe that and, this, and I have, I've seen this from my own personal experience and from, you know, the, the thousands of people I've coached and also from my own financial planning clients at SAS Financial, is I find that, you know, say, for example, you have a, an $800,000 home loan and you've got, say, $50,000 in your offset account. So that $50,000 is offsetting the $800,000 loan. So you're only being charged interest on $750,000. My issue is, and this is why I swear the banks create these products, is because they know this will do this. A lot of families become fixated. They're like, oh, we don't need to really worry so much about the budget or we can let a few things slide because we now have $50,000 in our offset account, you know. And they're fixated on that $50,000. It acts like smoke and mirrors. 
and you you won't really budget as hard. You'll let, you know you'll spend a bit more than what you should be doing, or you know um, you'll you won't really be committed to your goals. Cause you're like, no, we've got fifty in the thousand. We're heaps in the in the in the offset account. It's fine. Don't worry. That $50,000 is masking the fact that you have a $750,000 mortgage that you need to pay off. And to take 30 years to pay for your home loan is madness. Forget the bank's prescription. It's fraught with problems. This is why I prefer the redraw facility. Transfer that $50,000 to your home loan. See your home loan for what it really is. $750,000 $750,000 home loan. It financially is no different, but you'll suddenly, your goal becomes a lot clearer. You have a, go, a much more honest perspective of your reality and you go right actually we've got a $750,000 mortgage yes there is $50,000 we can draw redraw for an emergency yep that's great and that's sensible and wise but at the end of the day that's what we need to target is that $750,000 mortgage the $50,000 redraw facility or whatever is in your sitting in your redraw facility acts as a band-aid or foundation to the reality of your of, of the quality of your skin I guess you could say <laughs> And I think also, you know, at a deeper level, there's a lot of messaging that we have grown up with about, you know, when we start talking about passive income or financial freedom, there are so many people who have grown up with money doesn't grow on trees or there's never enough money or, um, you know, all of that stuff that can get into our subconscious and get in the way. It can get in the way or it can be something that teaches us and, and we grow through it. Um, I come across so many people who say to me, oh, I'm no good with money. And I'm like, Cut the crap. Like, seriously, that's not true. You, you, you've managed to pay for all the clothes on your back. You've paid for this appointment to see me. You've got, you know, you've got money in your superannuation account. That's not true. That's just a story you're telling yourself to remain in safety and comfort of being a victim. And, you know, that conversation and that, that language and that self-talk holds you back and gets you nowhere and actually is only going to make your financial journey much harder. And I would never, ever recommend someone sweep under the mat bad habits they've had in the past or maybe their upbringing um, because I have watched a lot of, particularly in my practice for SAS financial clients who have actually used their bad, their, their negative history or their upbringing to channel and motivate them to achieve amazing financial success. So this is when you start to go, all right, I'm going to step into a place of empowerment. I'm going to take full responsibility and ownership of my past, but you use it then in a powerful way to create change. You say, in the past, I have got myself into a lot of credit card debt, but right now I'm doing all these amazing things to get myself out of it and it's working. And every day I my debt's coming down and every day I'm learning something more and more about myself and I'm excited about the progress I'm making and I'm actually starting to realise once my debt's paid off, I can start investing you know, or you say, yes, I'm really aware that, you know, my parents were really bad with money and really responsible and I grew up in immense poverty and, and you know, scarcity and, and missed out on a lot of things, but I'm building a big, bigger and better future for myself where I'm not repeating history. I'm not reliving my parents' past. I'm building my own. And they use that as a motivation and drive to create the polar opposite of what they grew up with. So it can actually be a very, very powerful tool of growth and self-development and you know you start to realize oh my gosh I'm actually really quite powerful yeah it's empowering isn't it yeah yeah and you start to go well I can do this in my health and well-being I can do this in my relationships in my intellectual growth like all the other components of our lives 
hope that you're enjoying this conversation and realizing the benefits of positivity in your own life. If you are enjoying the show, please be sure to like and subscribe so that you get notified when new apps drop and head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a rating and review. So Kenna, once we've addressed the debt head on, paid down the debt, and let's say I have got a thousand, five thousand, like a small amount of money. Um, a lot of people feel intimidated by stocks and shares and investment portfolios. Is it possible these days to um, to invest in shares with a small amount of money? I'm sure I read in your book that these days you like you don't need a massive amount of money to go buy shares. The thousand dollar project started with one thousand dollars. Right. Look, actually, you can invest with as little as $500. I personally recommend you wait until you've got 1000 because brokerage is on average $20. And look, the best and fastest way to build up a diversified quality investment portfolio is to use something like a listed investment company or an ETF, an index style to ETF. And for people going, well, hang on, which LIC or ETF should I be buying? I actually share about five or six of them in Mindful Money that I, I personally own and I um really like as a quality long-term high growth risk profile perspective. And even on my Instagram um, account, on my IG stories, every now and again, I share a snapshot what the $1,000 project portfolio is made up of. So I share all the stocks and ETFs and LICs in, in the account. And it's funny, people message me, they're like, thanks for sharing. And they're like, I've screenshot this. And you can't, obviously I have the disclaimer in there, there's general advice, it's education based, but people can see, this is not rocket science. It's it's really easy. And, you know, you can see the importance of building a diversified share portfolio. It's not there for people to copy, of course, but it's you're like, okay, I get it. Like you've got 20 to, 20 to 30 different stocks in here across different industries, different countries, different sectors. And so- those uh, recommendations in the book are still current or or how do people Absolutely. stay, cu- they are? And I yeah. guess I'm asking, you know, so where do people access that most current information all of the time? Is that information that's available? Do they need a financial advisor? Through all of my content, whether it be my YouTube account, my Instagram account, or my podcast, Sugar Mama's Fireplay, all of my content is obviously free for everyone to access. I'm almost trying to make my job obsolete because <laughs> I, 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 it's not rocket science. And look, my minimum fee to be a, for me to be someone's financial planner starts at $5,500 a year. I don't want people paying me that. I want people saving that or not saving that or people investing that. So um, you don't necessarily need a financial planner. When your, your situation becomes quite complicated and you, you need someone to help manage it, you know, such as understanding the legislation, the loopholes, legal, legal loopholes, of course. Um, uh, you know, you need different tax structures involved. Uh, you know, you're, you're dealing potentially with a higher net wealth. Yes, of course. Or you need someone to help as a sounding board financially because quite often the value a financial planner can add is actually stopping you from making a bad investment. Uh, that that's where a financial planner comes in. But if you've got, say, $10,000 to invest, and of course, you can't afford to see a financial planner, that doesn't mean you do nothing. You can, you know, read The $1,000 Project, read Mindful Money, read another book I recommended called Motivated Money by Peter Thornhill, and you can do this yourself. And I guess, too, just on that subject, often the question that comes up is, oh, should I buy stocks or or uh, shares or property, you know, is it shares or property? People sort of have a preference for one or the other. It sounds like yeah. you can invest in shares for a lot lower investment. Uh, look, 
I'm not there to tell someone what to invest in. Like it's none of my business what people prefer. Um, As long as they're doing it in an educated, informed way, then I'm happy. Uh, The thing about shares that I love is, number one, there's no stamp duty. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, I mean, that money is literally money down the toilet. Um, yes. You know, $5 million investment property, that's almost $50,000 in stamp duty, which is insane. Um, the other thing is, you, I mean, how long does it take to save up a deposit? Years. Mm. That's valuable time that you could have actually started building up your share portfolio. As I said, you can buy shares with as little as $500. So the thing about shares is you can, can get started straight away. The moment you've got money to invest, you can buy shares that day. You just need to open up an online share trading account. Um, the other thing is obviously that the ongoing costs like that come with property. So, and, and I will disclose I own investment properties and I own shares. But if, if I won a million dollars and I had to invest it today, I would not be buying any more property. I'd only be buying shares. And, you know, I, I look at my, I look at the property uh, I own as an investment. And, um, you know, especially when I include my partner as well, the strata fees, the property management fees, the water rates, the marketing, the risk I have in between tenants, it massively eats into the rent I get. Yes, the property has gone up in value, but the rent hasn't gone up in value. And that's the big catch that people don't realise with property. Australians have a love affair with property. I think it's because it's a really easy investment to understand. It's a simple concept. People get it. And it's a tangible asset. You can point to it. You can touch it. You can see it. You can get into it, walk around. You can take photos and show your family and friends. It, you know, it makes you feel good. I can't uh, touch my 0.0001% holding in Westpac Bank. Like, and it doesn't feel it. But at the end of the day, Westpac doesn't come knocking on my door saying you need to contribute towards our, our um, strata bills or our electricity bills or the, 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 the toilet's cr- broken. The toilet's broken, <laughs> exactly, um, or the annual Christmas party. No, like I get a dividend and that's my my return. And, and you know, if you look at the average yield of um, Australian industrial shares, it's pretty strong. It ranges between sort of 35 to 6% which is try to find an investment property that yeah, yields that's 6%. Like, and it comes, if it's industrial, quite often they're fully franked, so you get tax benefits along the way, which particularly in someone, you know, who's approaching retirement or not on the top marginal tax rate, they have, it's really valuable. So that's, I prefer shares over property. And look, I explain all this in Mindful Money, so I don't want to, if I'm, I don't want to run the risk of people's eyes starting to glaze over. <laughs> no, everybody just buy the book. It is a great book. I, I really enjoyed it. You mentioned before about if a woman is out of work, for example, looking after kids, putting money into her super anyway. What about the difference between investing $1,000 in shares versus putting $1,000 into your super? Great question. Okay. So, all right, there's this, I shouldn't just say put money into super. There's a couple of things people need to do. Number one is make sure your superannuation is consolidated, in, ideally into one account. Number two is make sure your superannuation money is properly invested to your long-term goals. So many people have the default balance fund. Uh, I, I have a big problem with that because your superannuation is most likely going to be a 40 to 60 year product. So you are in a long, you are technically a long-term investor and the FPA defines long-term investing as seven years. I define it as 10 years or longer. So you're literally four to six times the definition of long-term investor. So you want to make sure that your money is, is, you know, invested to help maximize as many opportunities as possible for long-term capital growth and long-term income. So that means for a general advice perspective, um, obviously do a risk profile, but it means if you're, you know, 
the default balance fund is not necessarily the right type of investment for you. You're not necessarily giving your money the best opportunity to grow and compound. All you need to do is look at the difference between, um, you know, cash, Australian shares, international shares and property over a 10, 20 year time frame. You'll see where they all end up. So you may be better off going in the growth or high growth investment option. So number one, make it consolidate, make sure it's consolidated so you're not wasting fees. Number two, make sure it's properly invested. And number three is look at the contributions, like especially if you're out of workforce for a couple of years, raising children or taking care of family members or, you know, maybe having a sabbatical or, you know, you're studying a new course or taking a different career path. Make sure you try within your budget to replace those superannuation contributions. Yes, you may not be able to replace the full 9.5%, but try and do 4% or 4.5% or 3% or 8%. Do the best you can because you never want to jeopardise your financial well-being. Um, and it's you're basically, if you don't, you're pushing the problem. It's going to be a bigger problem and harder to catch up further down the track and comes with a lot more sacrifices um, and pain as well. So um, it, that is just so incredibly important. And do remember, though, to answer your question about the two, once you put money into superannuation, you cannot get it out. So that $1,000, if I put that into my super tomorrow, I can't get that money out. But for me... I think that's actually quite a good thing because it takes away temptation. Yeah. The tax rate in super is a lot lower than the average marginal tax rate. So tax within super is maximum 15%. And if you've read right for money, you'll know how to actually get that down even lower, potentially to zero. Um, but it, it, you've got to be obviously aware of that. But for a lot of Australians, it's actually a blessing in disguise because they can't get that money out. So it's going to be invested for the long run. They don't, they're not going to withdraw it and go and buy a flat screen TV or a new pair of shoes. It's it's there. It's, it's temptations, you know, been removed. So you can do, you can do both if you want. And a lot, you know, obviously if someone in their twenties or, you know, that's planning retiring early, I would never recommend they put all their money into superannuation because it's going to be, you know, don't want to wake up at age 50 and go, great, I've got $2 million in super, but I can't touch it and I can't access it. Yes. You, that's where you need to have, you know, a, a twofold strategy where you target both um, strategies at the same time, which is perfectly doable. But yeah, that that's where, you know, the strategies come in that I, and the case studies that I give in Mindful Money. Yeah, it is so helpful. Thank you, Kenna. When is the earliest that we can start investing for our kids or getting our kids investing? When my son Rocco was born, I bought him, I think, 1000 or $1,500 worth of shares. And I actually have a whole chapter dedicated to kids and money in Mindful Money. But, yeah, when he was born, I bought him shares. I bought them as trustee for my son um, and so I can control the portfolio. My daughter, I, she's 18 months, and a couple of months ago I, I bought her her first parcel of shares. But every, I, I don't – we have a mortgage, so our, our number one financial goal is to help pay off the mortgage, and we do this thing called debt recycling. So as the mortgage comes down, we borrow money you know, in a very controlled, responsible way um, to buy shares. And I explain how to do this in Mindful Money. But I, I don't believe in putting us as a family under financial stress to pump a whole pile of investments into my children's investment portfolios. It's literally like every now and again, uh, you know, uh, with birthdays and Christmas times and, and um, things that come along, if I have $1,000 available for them, I'll, I'll buy some, some shares for them, but it, they are very small portfolios. At the end of the day, 
it's about educating my children rather than just gifting them these share portfolios. I want them to know how to budget. I want them to understand the importance of investing and the difference between investing and savings. And my son is, you know, he's seven, turning eight in a couple of months. And I'm starting to show him the share portfolio and he has two different accounts. He has a spending account because we really embrace the cashless society. So, and he gets pocket pocket money and, um, you know, he gets his, his spending account and an, and an investing to save, sorry, a saving to invest account as well. And um, and when his tooth fairy came, uh, Tom and I were like, crap, we don't have any money. We don't have any coins. Because none we, of us do. None of us do. And he was like, the tooth fairy is coming tonight. And I was like, <laughs> yes, they are. And so Tom and I were like, literally turning the house upside down, trying to find money. And finally, like 9.30 at night, we're exhausted and we, Tom found a $20 note and we we had to give him $20 for his tooth fairy. <laughs> That's very, very valuable like, tooth. I know. And he woke up and he was like, wow, $20? Oh, my gosh, what am I going to get next time? I'm like, we've set the bar really high now. So, But he actually said, he actually gave it back to me and said, "Can and it's because I'm completely cashless. He said, can you please put this in my investment account so we can do something with it? You know, and he's a consumer. He loves Kmart. He actually, I'll pick him up from school and say, can we go to Kmart? Um, so, he, and I have to explain no, because it's, it's a danger zone. Um, uh, he would buy as many Pokemon cards as he could at the moment. But he, I was so proud of him because he understood, he started to get the difference. And I'm not, I'm not bombarding my children with investment advice. I'm just slightly gently every now and again when he shows the right signals, we talk about it. And when he's finished and he looks like his eyes are glazed over, we stop the conversation and move on to something else. So important but, though. Yeah. And he, he, he's interested and it's funny, like I don't pepper it and he actually says to me, can you show me this and that and, and can you show me my, my account online and how much is in there and I mean, it's, it's also a great opportunity to, to practice some maths as well and um. Yeah, and so that, and he said, yeah, can I put, put that towards investing? And yeah, so it's $20. Good for him. Account. Good for him. Mm. And I was stuck with a $20 <laughs> note again. <laughs> Kanna, thank you so much. This has been amazing. And um, do you want to tell my listeners where they can find you? Or I can, I'll obviously put it in the show notes. Sure. Okay. So I have a YouTube channel called Sugar Mama TV. And every Thursday, I publish a financial video around budgeting you know, cash flow, investing, retirement. Um, I also have I've touched on a few lifestyle subjects, even like, even fashion, how to, you know, shop mindfully with fashion so that you can enjoy fashion, but not have it break the bank. Um, I'm also a, a massive um, fan of minimalism. Then I have my Instagram account and I, you know, I'm always publishing quotes to keep you motivated, you know, important messages, important information. Uh, so that's at Sugar Mama TV and um, at Canna Campbell Official for people who like to see more behind the scenes. And then um, my podcast is called Sugar Mama's Fireplay. And that's been such an exciting platform for me to launch because I've been asked to do it for so many years. And I was like, no one's going to want to listen to me talking for 45 minutes. But um, it's it's doing really well. And um, I actually interview people. And this is what I love so much about the podcast is chatting with people rather than just talking to a camera. Um, is I talk to people and people have gone through all sorts of challenges financially and even emotionally and how they've turned their life around, what are the defining moments, what helped, what didn't help, um, how they got through it. And I've, you know, interviewed women who have gotten out of uh, financially and physically abusive marriages um, and, you know, one woman actually used the $1,000 project to do it. Um, women who've gone through, you know, almost lost their homes and 
experienced lost family members and miscarriages and so forth and how they've, you know, basically ended up almost starving because they couldn't afford to buy groceries and how they've had to, you know, go to to approach uh, charities and, and how they've built themselves financially up from there and, you know, families who've just kicked society's financial goals, you know, such as having to buy a house or, you know, to the, to the curb and deciding, okay, well, stuff owning a home. We want to, we want a passive income. We want an investment portfolio. And there's so many amazing stories. Um, and people have just opened up their bank accounts and their, um, their hearts and their minds and, and shared the most, most intimate stories so that people can make their own breakthroughs in their lives financially. So that's all on Sugar Mama's Fireplay. That's amazing, Kenna. And I think that's what we need to hear because there can be so much shame wrapped up around it if you've got yourself into debt. So thank you for everything that you do. I know you've got a massively busy day and I so appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. I really like Kenna's approach to managing money. And since I talked to her, I've already started my own $1,000 project and been madly researching ETFs, which is actually a whole lot of fun. You can find out more about Kanna and her work and her financial services practice at her website, sugarmama.tv. Her YouTube is also called Sugarmama TV. She's got lots of free advice over there. You can follow her on Instagram at Sugarmama TV or at Kanna Campbell Official. And of course, her books are called Mindful Money and The $1,000 Project, and they are available at all good bookstores. As always, I would love for you to come and connect with me. I am on Instagram at castun underscore XO or Facebook at castun.xo. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I also love to read your messages, so shoot me a DM over on Instagram or email me at hello at And I look forward to catching you on the next episode of Crappy to Happy. Crappy to Happy is presented by Castan. Produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.